Hi, this is Jay Webb for International Gospel Hour. Since 1934, Churches of Christ have proclaimed God's Word through International Gospel Hour. Please stay tuned for another lesson on this program by Jeff Archie. Are you listening? A thank you to our Jay West and greetings everyone on this day. Thank you for being with us today as we consider the things that be of God through a study of His Word, the Holy Bible. Within the Bible, the reading and research of the church is a most beautiful study. There are so many attributes about the church that one broadcast could not address all of them properly. Individual attributes of the church are worthy of a study in and of themselves. May we consider one of those attributes today. In Revelation chapter 1, we see Christ described as one of power and authority. Such a description is accurate in other texts, such as Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, where we learn that God hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. Colossians 1.18 says, And He, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. In these texts, Jesus is declared as the head of His church. Jesus Christ had a message to His church in Revelation 3, verse 1. Now, in Revelation 2 and 3, His message goes to the seven churches of Asia. But in Revelation 3, verse 1, when He said, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that livest, and art dead. As Jesus said this, he gave a reminder to this congregation, and it would stand true to all the churches. He told his church, You have a name that lives. Jesus had the seven spirits of God, a complete definition which means complete message and the seven stars that he would put forth as described in Revelation chapter 1. It is again a reminder of God's authority through Jesus Christ. And Jesus told his church, this congregation in the city of Sardis, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest, and are dead. Again, church, he said, you have a name that lives. Let's think for a moment about names. Names are important, and names mean things. Whoever said names are not important must not have thought much of his own name. You know, my wife carries my last name. There is identity. She doesn't wear another man's name. She wears my name. I remember one time in a mall with a friend of mine, and we were with his mother. There were a few of us there, and we were walking in the mall, and my friend called out his mother's given name, her first name. 
And when he did, she turned around and he asked her something and it threw me because why would a child call out his mother's name just like a friend? I realize that happens, but it's rare to me. And I asked him why he called her by name and his explanation was acceptable. He said, Jeff, if I would have said mom, ten women would have turned around. But when I called her name, She knew I needed her, and she recognized my voice. I thought, hmm, this is a great illustration. Names mean things. You know, the Bible teaches that names are important. Do you recall in the Old Testament how God changed Abram's name, or rather Abram, shall I say, changed Abram's name to Abraham? He changed Sarai's name to Sarah, and changed Jacob's name to to Israel. In previous lessons about the church we read of in the New Testament, we were reminded of some simple truths from the Bible that denominationalism cannot claim. For this discussion, let us consider another simple truth that denominationalism cannot claim, the uniqueness of the name of the church, how the church is identified by name. Before we begin, we always pause at this point in our broadcast to hear some good news and information from our J-Webb. Jay? The International Gospel Hour has been heard over the airwaves since 1934. During all this time, we've been blessed to be on the air through gracious giving of congregations of Churches of Christ, faithful Christians, and devoted friends. That's why you will never hear us asking for money or for any type of donation from you, our listeners. Our offers of material and study aids are absolutely free. We plead for all to carry forth the words of Jesus to search the Scriptures, John 5.39, and we do so with the aim of the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you so, so much for listening. Let's continue our broadcast. And now, here's Jeff. Let's think about, as we begin, God-given names concerning the church. In Isaiah 62, verses 1 and 2, we see a prophecy from the Old Testament that says, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Now let's notice three things from this prophecy in Isaiah 62, 1 and 2. First of all, we note that the righteousness would go forth from Jerusalem. And we note in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we consider the Great Commission of Christ that is in all four Gospels, Matthew 28, 18-20, Mark 16, 15-20, and John 20, 21-23, we note Luke's description and Luke's teaching of the Great Commission of the words of Jesus in Luke 24, 44-49. Jesus said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Again, that's Luke 24, 44-49. Now, a careful reading of Acts, the first chapter, verses 1-12, through 12, teaches the apostles did this very thing in returning to Jerusalem, and how the promise of the Father came upon them with power, the power of the Holy Spirit, in Acts chapter 2, and the gospel was preached. Now, dear friends, when we see the righteousness would go forth from Jerusalem, we go back to Isaiah 62, verse 1, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And where would this be? Notice, for Jerusalem's sake, for Zion's sake. Zion, also a term depicting Jerusalem. And so we note the righteousness, the preaching of the gospel, would go forth from Jerusalem. It is of interest on that day in Jerusalem that when they asked the question, Men and brethren, what shall we do? In Acts 2 and verse 37, Peter gave them the answer beginning in verse 38, To repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He went on in verse 39 and said, For the promise is unto you, and unto your children, and unto them that are afar off, even as many as the Lord may call. That phrase, afar off, actually refers to the Gentiles. We learn of that from Ephesians chapter 2, specifically verses 14 through 18. Now, we mention that because we see also another part of the prophecy of Isaiah 62 coming true, that the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. Now, imagine reading that or hearing that in Old Testament time. At the time, the Gentiles, as we learn from Romans 1, lived under a law, a moral law, if you will, by the heart. But here the prophecy in Isaiah 62, verse 2 said, The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. And indeed, when you and I read Acts the 10th chapter, with Peter in the trance, in the vision on the housetop, the animals lowered, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I will not eat anything unclean. And then the Lord said, What I call clean don't you call common. And then men came to take him to the household of Cornelius, that was a Gentile household. And of course, Peter taught the gospel in Acts chapter 10, elaborated about it in Acts the 11th chapter of how God had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You see, dear friends, this prophecy in Isaiah 62, 1 and 2, is falling perfectly with the church we read of in the New Testament. Then notice that they would be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Now there's a clear indication they're not going to be called Gentiles. They're not going to be called Jews. They are called a new name. Let's think about that new name. 
In Acts 11, verse 26, the Bible says, And when he, that is Barnabas, had found him, that is Paul, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Christians. Listen to Acts 26:28. Paul had been teaching Agrippa. And then Paul told him in verse 27, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul in Acts 26:28, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Then Peter in 1 Peter 4 and verse 16 said, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Glorify God in what matter? To be a Christian. Dear friends, how beautiful it is to see the prophecy of old fulfilled so clearly. Individual followers of Christ in the New Testament at first were called disciples, but then those disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were simply called Christians. There's nothing more than is needed. You know, dear friends, would it not be good if we simply just went by the name Christian? But yet we find individuals that when you ask, what are you, they're looking for an additional label, probably that of a church. So let's think for a moment, if individuals in the New Testament, followers of the Christ, were called Christians, what are some identifying names of the church as given in the New Testament? In Romans 16 and verse 16, we find, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. So the term Church of Christ is an identifying name. It identifies the called out, known as the church. The word of is a word that joins together. And the name Christ identifies the owner. We also see the term Church of God in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2 and Acts 20 and verse 28. In Acts 20 and verse 28 we find that Paul exhorted those elders at Ephesus to take heed unto themselves and unto all the flock over the which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers that you may feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Who did the purchasing with his blood? Jesus Christ did, but in this text he is also known as God, which brings forth the deity of Christ, as we note all through Hebrews chapter 1. Again, an identifying name that the Bible gives. In Acts 2 and verse 47, the Bible simply says, The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So the term, simply the church, is an identifying term. The body of Christ that we mentioned earlier in Colossians 1.18 and verse 24. Another identifying term is the church of the firstborn, which this is referring to Christ and His preeminence. We learn this from Hebrews 12.23 and Colossians 1.18, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn of whom this is referring. And the church is also called the kingdom. Yes, it is. Matthew 16.19. We know that after Jesus promised to build his church, he told Peter, And I will give thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Your authority will be heaven-driven. Colossians 1.13, written to the church at Colossae, we note that from Colossians 1, 1 and 2, the Colossians 1, 13 and 14 tells us that these Christians were translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, or the Son of His love. Dear friends, we're looking at identifying names of the church as given in the New Testament. Now, we must keep in mind, the name identifies and one must live up to his or her name. If a religious group or church uses a biblical name, yet does not abide within the scriptures in organization, worship, and salvation, well, dear friends, they may have a biblical name, but they are not faithful to the husband, which is Christ. Does it not stand to reason, kind friends, that if a church is to have a name with biblical identity, should not its teaching have biblical identity, as in book, chapter, and verse, why we do what we do? Again, the church, as the bride of Christ, is to be faithful to the husband Christ. Let me pause here and ask another question. Of the identifying names of the church given in the New Testament, did I happen to mention, or did we happen to see from Scripture, names that the church of which you may attend is not listed? Dear friends, this is some things, or this is something that rather we need to think about. Again, the church as the bride of Christ is to be faithful to the husband, Christ. Listen to Ephesians five, twenty-two through 33 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does his church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul used the marriage bond of husband and wife, and as he said in verse 32, he speaks concerning Christ and his church. We need to be making certain we're wearing the name that Christ grants, and that our church is identified as such. Dear friends, since we're talking of the church, we have something very special we'd like to share with you, and our J. Webb has that information. Jay? Today, dear friends, we'd like to send to you absolutely free a special study booklet titled The Lord's Church as Revealed in Acts. This is a great study of the book of Acts, the actions of the apostles, and the reactions to the preaching of Christ. 
please call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and leave your name, address, and just say, Acts Study. That's it. Again, call toll-free at 1-855-IGH-6988 and please leave your name, address, and just say, Acts Study. You may also go to our website at internationalgospelhour.com, click on the Contact tab, and leave us the same information. Name, address, and type ACTS Study. That's A-C-T-S Study. We'll send it as soon as possible. Thanks always for your interest in the study of God's Word. And now, here is Jeff. When we discuss God-given names for the church, we must discuss man-given names. Let's think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 10, when he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. Again, this is from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 through 15. Please notice from verse 10, Paul said that there be no divisions. Please notice in verse 11 that there are contentions. And situations such as this result in problems. Paul said, let there be one name, that is, the name of Christ. Dear friends, this part of our broadcast I wish not to offend, but simply for you and I to think about Man-given names in light of God-given names. We understand that God has spoken on how His church should be identified. We understand the exhortation and the command of the Apostle Paul through Christ that we should have the name of Christ and Christ should not be divided. You may find the following of interest, and again, it is not to offend, but for us to observe. And please note from the outset, I am simply quoting others from years gone by who expressed what Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 10. Charles Spurgeon is a name that some recognize as the most talented Baptist preacher that ever lived. From his memorial library, volume 1, page 168, Spurgeon said, I say of the Baptist name, let it perish, but let Christ's name last forever. I hope the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name endure forever. In the book, The Life of Luther, the author Stork, on page 289, quoted Luther, who said, that is, Martin Luther, I pray you to leave my name alone and call not yourselves Lutherans, but Christians. Who is Luther? My doctrine is not mine. I have not been crucified for anyone. St. Paul would not let any call themselves after Paul, nor of Peter, but of Christ. Cease, my dear friends, to cling to these party names and distinctions, away with all, and let us call ourselves only Christians after him from whom our doctrine comes. 
Isn't it something, dear friends, that we can simply be called the name granted in Scripture? As God's Word is our authority, we can simply desire the things of God and not of man. To simply be called Christians upon our obedience to the gospel of Christ, and then the church to which we are added is the church we read of in the New Testament. Why not allow where we attend then to be identified by God's identification and allow our teaching and organization, worship and salvation to be as God directs? Dear friends, that's a simple thing. It is a beautiful thing. Yes, dear friends, there is something in a name. The church of Christ is unique in its name because it uses a name given by God. And may we resist all other names that are not found in the Bible. In a world where there are hundreds of different churches, one should be a member of the church we read of in the Bible. Dear friends, here on the International Gospel Hour, that is the only church we will encourage anyone to be a part, because we believe the Scriptures teach clearly, and we trust we have established that today through God's Word, that God speaks of one church and how it is to be identified. That is the church that was prophesied of God, named by God, and walks in God. Are you a member of the church that we read of in the Bible? or a human, man-made church or denomination? Dear friends, may I ask you a question to think on for the next few moments. Where would you want to put your soul's salvation? When the Bible teaches us of the beauty of belief as commanded by Christ in John 8:24 and commanded in Hebrews 11:6, Jesus taught repentance of our sins in Luke 13:5, to confess Him before men, Matthew 10:32 and 33, and to be baptized as they were on the day of Pentecost for the remission of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, and they were simply added to the church, and so can you. Dear friends, we hope this study today has been of help to you, and we hope that our study of the church will continue to be one that you will embrace as we teach on the International Gospel Hour. We always exhort you at the end of our broadcast to let us always continue our studies together, shall we? Thank you for joining me today on the International Gospel Hour. I'm Jeff Archie, and keep listening. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We hope, first, that it glorified God. But second, we hope that it edified you. Listen to it again if you need to, or to other lessons in this series by going to the Media tab at our site, internationalgospelhour.com. Glory.